We're going to be in John chapter 8 today. With the youth, we've been uh, going through the um, Gospel of John for a while now. And we just wrapped up chapter 7. And we moved into chapter 8. Chapter 8 begins with this, this account of Jesus being tested, so to say, or, or um, attacked by the Pharisees and the scribes. And they bring uh, across to him this adulterous woman. And so before we move on anymore, I just was so excited to teach this section to the youth because it speaks such great volumes of the grace of our Lord. And when Pastor Greg had asked me to share uh, yesterday, this was the first thing that came to mind. Because in my own life, I've experienced a lot of grace, even in the, in the realm of, of um, unfaithfulness and the Lord delivering me from that and forgiving me of that. And you know, the Bible preaches a lot about or tells of us that those who are forgiven of much love much. And so this story stands out to me as one that brings a great message to the unbeliever, the one, a message to those who may have backslidden, and in a great jumping off point for praise in the life of the believer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning, God, and I thank you for the, just the privilege to, to share your word with everyone. I um, ask, Lord, that your words would be on my lips today, Lord, and that, um, Lord, your spirit would be here moving in and amongst us. So Lord, we ask that you meet us here now in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 53 of chapter 7, we'll read. It says, And everyone went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set, in her midst, set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. 
When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, it was a little bit hard going into this text because if you notice in some of your Bibles, there's a little note that says this portion might not have been original to this text, as though it was slapped in there at some point when the scribes and everyone were putting together the the New Testament. And so some people have seen it being part of Luke's gospel, tagging it in behind Luke chapter 21. A few of them have it later on in John, and one has it after John 7 verse 36. It's found in over 900 manuscripts. And all the evidence suggests that the scribes were often ignorant of, the, of its exact position, though anxious to retain it as part of the four Gospels. They knew it belonged, but they didn't exactly know where. It says, at the same time, the character of the story makes it seem obvious that it is genuine, and many scholars note that it is historical and factual. Early Christian writers mention this account as soon as as the early 2nd century AD 100. We have good reason to believe that this, is actually, that this actually happened and that John really wrote this. There is some debate as to where it belongs in the gospel accounts, but there's a good reason to believe it belongs. And I think that it's perfectly where it needs to be. We see Jesus finishing his ministry after a long week celebrating in Jerusalem the Feast of Tabernacles. It started with his brothers coaxing him to go to Jerusalem and make himself known. Hey, if you plan to be the Messiah, if you think you're the Messiah, why don't you go prove it to everyone? They didn't believe in him, is what the Bible tells us. And so Jesus made his way to Jerusalem in his own time, when it was right. And he made his way there, and he begins to be attacked by uh, non-believers, by religious leaders, people questioning who he was. This whole week, going through these ups and downs, people seeking to kill Jesus because of the miracle he did chapters before in healing the man on the Sabbath day. As the week ended... We're told in verse 33 that everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He went there to pray and to rest before the ministry that would happen the next morning. It says in verse 2 that now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Jesus rises up early in the morning, He makes his way to the temple, and people start to come to him. They want to hear more of what he had to say. And we see Jesus postured as a teacher, as one that's there to instruct, maybe to clear up misunderstandings. But he sat down, 
and he taught them. You know, this congregation would have consisted of those who had uh, believed his words that he taught previously, those who were still questioning, trying to find clarity, those that were just looking for a show, knowing that he could perform miracles and had done that. And then there were those there among them that hated him and that were looking for ways to kill him. You could find all the different things people were saying about if you read earlier in chapter 7. In verse 3, we see the introduction of these scribes and Pharisees as they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when the Bible tells us, and when they set her in, in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. There was no questioning that this woman, what she was up to, what she was doing. And as we've already read through this section, we see that the scribes and the Pharisees, supposing to trap Jesus and to catch him off guard, brought this woman in to question Jesus. Now, Adultery, spoken about in the Bible, is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. We see it listed as number seven in the list of commandments. You shall not commit adultery. And this woman was caught in the very act. The parties to this crime, according to Jewish law, were a married woman and a man who was not her husband. And the Mosaic penalty was that both the guilty parties should be stoned. They were both to die. This woman caught in the very act. They brought her before Jesus, parading her before everyone that was gathered there. No concern for her, but using her as a tool that they might get to Jesus. Their only concern was their agenda. And it's a good example that man functioning in legalism will seek to point out the sin in others, often neglecting the sin in their own life for their own pride or their own agenda. But these guys weren't truly concerned with the woman at hand. They weren't concerned that she was breaking the law. They weren't concerned about even the holiness of God's law. Their chief focus was to go and to tear down Jesus. If they truly would have been concerned with the breaking of that law, they would have brought the man too, right? That's what the, the law said. The man, a married woman, and a man who was not her husband. They were to both be brought there and stoned. But we see their whole agenda as clear as day. And they approach Jesus in verse 5. They say, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They saw an opportunity to try to catch Jesus, to destroy him in front of those he was teaching. They sought to discredit him hoping to get him in trouble with the Jews or the Romans. 
if Jesus would have agreed with them and let her go, he would have been guilty of rejecting the law of God. And how could he be Messiah? How could he be the Son of God if he didn't support that? If Jesus would have cried out with them, yeah, stone her, let's do it, let's kill her. She broke the law. He would have been in trouble with the Rome, Romans. Because Roman at that time had taken away the Jews' right to enforce the death penalty for any of their laws. They were looking for any reason to get Jesus trapped and to bring him into trouble in some way or another. And this seemed to be a good trap. But our Lord doesn't give in to people attacking him. He stands quietly. And then he stoops down as we read in the second half of verse 6. It says, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Jesus didn't give them his attention. He knew what was in their heart. He knew why they were doing what they were doing. It's interesting, if you look in Psalm verse 38, or chapter 38, starting in verse 12, it seems as if this, this passage here was written exactly about the situation. The psalmist writes, Those who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction. and plan deception all the day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. Pretty interesting, huh? It just literally describing what Jesus, how Jesus approached his attackers. Have you ever been under attack by somebody? Your first, or maybe somebody's making claims against you. Your first inclination is to go and clear your name, right? You want to, no, no, that's not what happened. That's not what's going on. That's not what I did. But Jesus, as they're coming before him, trying to catch him in this specific situation, does not even give him their attention, give him his attention. He was under no obligation to respond to them. They're asking his opinion. They're asking his thoughts on this, trying to capture him. So he remains silent, and he stoops down and writes on the ground. I think it's amazing, too, that as these men were there trying to capture our Lord, that he stoops down. He doesn't stand kind of putting up a front. What do you guys want? He just stoops down, almost as if childlike in ways, starts drawing on the ground. You know, you parents know this when your kids are not listening to you. You're telling them, go clean your room, and they're just like, doing something over in the corner. You're like, what, what's going on right now? Why aren't you listening to me? You know, and I can imagine these Pharisees and these scribes were getting very frustrated with what was happening. Upset even. But we see our Lord, the humble one, he stoops down. He's stooped down before the adulteress and he stooped down before the scribes and the Pharisees. He wasn't going to be this judge they wanted him to be. 
We're told that He didn't come to judge and to condemn. And any judgment He did have, He received from the Father. He was fully in control of this whole situation. All who were gathered around were waiting to hear what He would say. You know, there's some people who would make conjectures as to what Jesus wrote in the sand. Some saying that He listed out the names of each one of the Pharisees and what their sin was or who had maybe been with that woman or listing them out and in order of who was the most sinful to the other in whatever context he wanted. But honestly, no one knows. We just see him in humble containment, letting them do their thing. In verse 7, it says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. They were very persistent in their questioning of him. They continued to ask him. And notice his posture here. He stands up to address them. He says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Jesus knew the heart of those who he was talking to, who these Pharisees truly were. We see him speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 to the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lewdness. Man, he calls them out. He doesn't hide anything. He says, you guys look so great on the outside, so beautiful on the outside, but in the inside you're rotting. Jesus' statement to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first, appeals to their heart and their conscience. He shows them that they had no right to condemn this woman to death. And if anything, I see it as a gracious word to them even. Because you know how you could be in that place where you're very wrong? might be upset about something. You might be just totally firm that you are right and correct in whatever's going on. And then you get alone and you just hear that still small voice kind of say, you're wrong. You're not right. You see what's going on in your own life? See what's going on in your own heart? 
These men were intent to trap him. But Jesus goes straight to the heart. He showed them that they had no right to condemn this woman to death. We know from the Apostle Paul teaching us that the law was given so that it might reveal our deep sinfulness and our inability to live out righteous lives. The law was there to reveal our sinful heart. And we know that no one can follow the law so closely to be considered blameless in the law. You know, Pastor Greg has taken us through Romans and you know, if you guys remember back in chapter 7, that if we are able to look into the law, we will find all manner of sin within us. The law was not meant to save, but to point to a Savior. These men were most likely partakers of the very same sin that they sought to judge this woman for. In Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus teaching have you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery? But I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in her heart, in his heart. They were so blind by their hatred for Jesus that they weren't seeing the own, their own sinfulness in their own heart. They weren't seeing truly what was happening in the situation. That their, their hatred, using people as though they were tools or, or some rubbish that they can use for their own agenda. They too were in sin, but didn't see it until Jesus spoke to them. And I pray that the Lord Jesus would speak into our hearts and the hearts of this nation to humble ourselves before Him that each of us would see our deep need for Him and the great price that He paid for us. In verse 8, it says He again stooped down and began to write on the ground. The men, no defi most definitely feeling that conviction, that Word of God stirring in their hearts, It says in verse 9, then that those who hear it begin beginning being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. After addressing their question with a greater and deeper thought-provoking statement, Jesus again stoops down, stoops down, and at the word of Jesus, they became convicted by their own conscience. He rebuked their actions. He called them out. They were now faced to deal with their own sin. He brought to light what was wrong in their own heart that they couldn't even focus on her anymore. They couldn't even focus on the hatred they had for Him. This is what the conviction of the Lord does in our lives. He sheds light on our own personal standing before Him. He doesn't tell me what's going on in your life so that I can go over and convict you. He tells me, no, Kyle, look at what's going on in here. Look what you have in your heart. 
We are all accountable to God as individuals. And God does not grade on a curve like we would hope, as much as the world thinks. He's not going to dismiss us because we were better than somebody else when we come to see him. It tells us here that each of the Pharisees and the scribes left one by one. And it's interesting that they left oldest to youngest, right? There's a lot of other thoughts about that. One that I think is fitting is that the older we get, the more aware of our shortcomings we are begin to have more of that 2020 hindsight vision, right? You look back and you can see, why was I such an idiot right there? Why did I do that? And then, as it usually takes, as the younger we are, the harder it is for us to learn. <laughs> Sometimes we have to learn the hard way, the saying goes. But something to notice is that they still had a conscience that's important. And that they actually took what Jesus had said and they listened. Just because somebody is very against God does not mean that the Word of God will be of no effect in their lives. It's a reminder to us to continue to share with people and to encourage people, even if they are utterly against God. They were moved by what Jesus said and now had to deal with what he said on an individual level. And we see them leave one by one. The end of verse 9, it says, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. What a beautiful picture that is. All those that would condemn her, gone. And we see a stooping Jesus and a standing adulteress in the scene. A humbled Christ before a convicted sinner and an adulterous woman standing before her stooping judge. In verse 10 it says, When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Where are those accusers of yours? They're all gone. Lord, you spoke a few words and they are gone. No one is now standing before me, condemning me to die. She was no longer condemned by those Pharisees, but she was still standing before the Lord in the light and, and her sin revealed. She is now going to be dealing with this sin before the Lord the one who already knew everything about her, who knew that she was in this sin, she was now face to face with him. Verse 11, she said to him, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus, not for one minute, excused the sin of this woman. He called it sin. But what Jesus did is that he did not condemn her. He was not going to make her pay the penalty for the sin that she was in, which was death. She was to die for what she was just caught doing, according to the law. It was the law. That was the payment. That's what was supposed to happen to her. And then we see Jesus, the Son of God, standing before her. And he offers this grace and this forgiveness to her. And the only reason he could offer this is because he was going to take that very penalty to the cross. Not much more than six months later, if this account is appropriately placed in where it's at. He took the death that she was supposed to receive and he took it to the cross. He bore upon himself the punishment for all the sin, all her sin, all our sin, when he went to that cross. He could extend that forgiveness because he himself would take that condemnation for her. And the same is true for us. Is there something that we've done that the Word of God is convicting us about? Has there been something we've been caught doing that we know is sin against God? Will we go away from Christ hard-hearted, despising Him for the conviction that we feel? Much like the Pharisees even. They didn't stay to have their forgiveness or to, to hear what the Lord would say to them about their sin. Or will you stand before Him just as you are, receiving the forgiveness that He has to offer, just like the woman caught in adultery? She had nothing to hide. Everything was bare before Him. Like I said at the very beginning, that this message is... For those that don't know the Lord, knowing and have, who haven't tasted of His grace and His forgiveness, that that is available to them because of the cross. And those who are backslidden or have allowed compromise into their lives, God's forgiveness is there. Or if we're in that great fellowship with the Lord, that communion with Him, that, that walk with Him that's just so sweet, we have all the reason to praise Him for all the works that He's done in our lives. The sanctification process that He's done, making us more like Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, 
ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.